Good morning. I, I came prepared this morning. The big bag of Ricola, the big glass of water. I got a lot of really good helpful tips last week in the wake of my coughing fits and I appreciate your, your grace and your kindness in that. Um, yeah. Well, friends, um, I know Angie just prayed, but let's pray again. I know I need it. And so, uh, Father God, we thank you for bringing us to this place. And Lord, we invite you to open up our eyes to see what your word would say to us this morning. And God, to help us to fix our eyes on you, um, the author and perfecter of our faith, God, that we would get a good perspective this morning because of what your word has to say. So help us, help me, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, do we have the first slide up there? Here we go. Here we go. All right, the title for today's message is Simple Pursuit. We're going to take a little break from Matthew because of Easter, um, when you end one series two weeks before Easter, it's this awkward amount of time before you can start another series. And so here we go. Uh, so we're doing a couple of just standalone sermons uh, this week and next week um, uh, in preparation for that. So today it's called Simple Pursuit. Our passage today is going to come from Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 16. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together is that nothing else compares with knowing Jesus. Nothing else compares with knowing Jesus. If you can think about something that might compare with it, I'm, I'm here to tell you today, I'm sorry, but it's not, it, it doesn't compare. And so, uh, you can go to the next slide. So I want to use an illustration kind of as we work through our passage, I want to use an illustration um, kind of telling a story of a car. Really, it's a truck for those of you who know. Um, so that's an, an old Chevy truck. It's a rust bucket there, um, but because they, they built them better back then, it's still holding its shape <laughs> uh, compared with cars nowadays. And so you have this truck. This is the kind of truck, um, when it comes to older trucks, I don't have a preference on brand. Forgive me if you do. Um, but just because I would love to have a truck. And I would love to have one of these kinds of trucks where it's just a beautiful vehicle. Um, and you just look so cool in it. I don't know. I think it's a nice idea. But this is kind of a picture of our lives where when God finds us and he comes to choose us out of whatever situation we're in, in a lot of ways, we're like this rust bucket of a truck where when we came out of the assembly line as little babies, um, you know, we were, we were pure and innocent, quote, perfect, even if we looked a little funny, we were perfect little angels in the sight of our mothers. And, uh, you know, 
for all intents and purposes, brand new. And yet, as we go throughout this life, some of us are, are earlier in that journey than others. As we go throughout our lives, um, you know, we get some nicks and dings here and there. Uh, we have some different elements like we have here at the beach that just naturally rust exposed metal. Um, salt, salt life. Um, you know, and so whatever the situation may be, uh, you know, good or ill, we end up in kind of this state. And God finds us in that kind of a state where we're kind of in a rust bucket, broken down sort of state. Now, I don't know about this particular truck. It looks like the wheels are a little flat from sitting there for a while. And so maybe this has just been stationary. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if the engine still works in this particular one um, or if uh, maybe they've worked on that and they're just getting it up and running. But God meets us in our broken down state and he chooses us. It's like if I were to go to a junkyard and I saw this particular truck, like I see on the way uh, past, uh, on my way to Eugene, every time I go there, um, there's this one lot that has a bunch of these old types of trucks. I want one so bad. Um, but it's like if I were to go there and I were to say, hey, how much do you want for that? And I happen to have just, you know, unlimited money. I said, okay, here you go. I will pay it. I want that one. God went and he saw you and he said, I choose that one each and every one of you. He has chosen you. Even when you're a rust bucket and you may not work that well. <laughs> and you might need a whole lot of TLC to get up off the ground. And so I want to use the story of this truck and, and we'll, we'll figure out some of this a little bit as we go. Um, but as we look to our passage, really, no, 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 huh, 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 I'm not there yet. Back, okay. <sighs> still working out some of these kinks here. Really, you know, that moment when God chooses us and he and we are, are met by that choosing, that's that moment of redemption for us where we realize the redemption that's been paid for us because Jesus knew all those years ago that he chose you and that he chose me and that he was wanting to redeem you out of that place and to bring you into a life with him. And so, as we think about this simple pursuit and how nothing else compares with knowing Jesus, we're going to find that nothing else compares because of who God is and because of what God does in our life that just it, it unites us with him and it really starts to change us. Now, for a little bit of context, because we're parachute dropping right into the, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, um, this letter in the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul to a local church in the city of Philippi. Um, and he was writing to all the saints, all the overseers, and the deacons. So pretty much everybody in the church, he was talking to them. And what he was doing is he was writing this letter as an encouragement. 
It's one of the few, if not the only, I, I haven't done as much study on that, but it's one of the few where Paul doesn't have a whole lot of bad to say about the church. Really, he's saying, you guys are doing pretty good. Um, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm pretty sure, Norm, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the book of Revelation, Philippi is one of the few that's doing pretty good, right? Okay, so thank you for that confirmation, Norm. I love you, brother. <laughs> so um, I'm just flying from the seat of my pants this morning. So here we go. Um, and so with Philippi, they were a church who were doing things right. They had their heart in the right place. They were doing good things. Um, and they, were, they didn't have a whole lot of scandal going on. Not like those crazy, scandalous Corinthians or, I don't know, the Thessalonians who were letting some, you know, false doctrine in or a little bit, or, uh, and, you know, the Galatians and everything where Paul was having to warn them about this, that, or the other thing. But these were people where they're doing pretty good. And I, I look at our church, and there might be some things that we can do better, but I think we're doing pretty good in a lot of ways. When I look at our church, we may be older uh, we might feel a lot more like that, uh, that, uh, that Chevy truck there. But, you know, we're doing pretty good. We love the Lord. Um, and yet, through all of this, Paul, when he was in prison, in around the year 62, um, while he's in prison in Rome, he thinks about this church. He says, you know, I need to give these people some encouragement. And... Through that correspondence, he wants to encourage them in a very specific thing. And that thing is to continue to grow mature in their faith. And I would argue through our passage, the vehicle of that, that growing and that maturing is pursuing God. And we'll, we'll see that in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians 3. We'll begin in verse 7. It'll be up here on the screen uh, if you want to follow along there as well. All right. Philippians 3, 7. Hmm. But whatever I gain, or whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Amen? Amen. All right, the first thing I see in our passage, you can go to the next slide, is that pursuing Jesus changes us horizontally. So here's a picture of, of a junkyard in, I think it's in Arkansas or something, uh, somewhere. But look at all those rusty old trucks. Isn't that amazing? Ah, it's like a playground for me. Um, <laughs> just thinking, oh, all the potential. But it's kind of like this. So you have that truck that we saw at first, right? It's like if the, that truck were in this particular junkyard. And God came and he said, you know what, I choose this one. And what if the truck said, but I have all my friends around here. I mean, there was some thistle growing over there, and I wanted to see how that turned out. <laughs> or, you know, um, you know, there's a drama going on between the junkyard uh, boss and his employee. I don't know. But it's like, in that illustration, to use that sort of thing, we look around us and ask ourselves what it's going to cost other people or or whatnot, to follow Christ and to follow what Christ has given us to pursue, which is himself. And when God calls us out of that situation, oftentimes he doesn't ask us, you know, to consider what it's going to cost other people, but he's asking us what it's going to cost us to change. And to maybe get out of that junkyard so that he can, he can clean us up a bit and he can work on us and he can walk with us as a good mechanic. We'll talk about that in a second. But pursuing Jesus changes us horizontally. And this, this highlights just the value we place on the, the things and the people around us. What is the value that you put on the people around you. For some of us, maybe we couldn't care less. <laughs> We're like, I'm good. I'm a hermit. I'm good. Like, I don't need to know about the people. But I would argue there might be some things around you, some objects that you have a particular liking for. And it's really hard to think about your life without that object. And so when you look around you, if God was asking you to, to let go or even just consider just forgetting that, counting it as rubbish, would you be willing to give it up? Now for the Apostle Paul, some of the context that we didn't read before because 
I wanted to shave off five seconds of what I thought my sermon was going to be. But some of the context there is the Apostle Paul, um, he was a Pharisee. Uh, he was the religious elite. He was trained up and he was like a pastor in his day, but he knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He was really zealous for the Lord and he was really zealous for following all the minutiae of the law and its interpretation. And so much so that he would have been around while Jesus was doing his ministry. He probably had opinions about Jesus. And we know that he persecuted the early church by, you know, signing death warrants for Christians because they had chosen to follow this new way. And yet the Apostle Paul, God came into the junkyard and pointed him out and said, I choose you. And he had a choice. Now, it was a pretty heavy-handed choice, but he had a choice. He could either stay blind and keep his pride and like, oh, I'm a Pharisee, here we go. Or he could choose to trust God and whatever God was doing. And God eventually after three days he healed him but god met him in that place and his worldview was challenged he thought he was right he thought he knew what god was doing he thought he had his theology 100 percent excellent to the dotted i and cross t he had it down if you had a question, he had an answer. And yet, Jesus was asking him to leave all of that behind to follow him, to do what he gave him to do, not what Paul wanted to do. <clears throat> now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, ah, but that's because he was Saul. Um, so, uh, in the Apostle Paul's story, at one point he went by the name Saul, that was his, uh, I believe it's the, the Jewish version of the name Paul. Kind of like we, we have different versions of names, you know, depending on whatever language you speak. And so the name Paul is the Greek version of the name Saul. It, 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 it coincides together. Um, so sorry to burst your bubble on that. But... Um, but it's interesting that he eventually wanted to be known by that Greek name, Paul. But all of this to say, he points out that he counted anything he had gained, any work he had done, any accolades, all his training that he had gone through, he counted it as a loss for the sake of Christ. So for the sake of Christ could mean, you know, the cause of Christ, what Christ had given him to do, but also that relationship that he was inviting him up into. Because the Pharisees uh, of the two different Jewish sects, they were the ones who actually believed in the resurrection. They believed in kind of the more, you know, spiritual side of things. They weren't as, you know, dogmatic to, uh, as the Sadducees were, who were sad, you see. Um, and here we go. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so my point is this. Paul decided 
He had a choice to make, and he decided to follow Jesus wherever Jesus told him to go. Whatever Jesus told him to do, he would do. And he did it with the same zeal that he did when he was pursuing all those other things. But in that place, he counted all of that as loss for the sake of knowing Christ, for the sake of pursuing what Jesus had for him. And so, I believe that reveals to us that big idea that nothing else compares with knowing Jesus. He thought he knew Jesus, and then Jesus really showed him who he was. And so I think today, <coughs> I need to follow the advice of my elders. Here we go. That lozenge will work in a moment. Um, and so Paul had a choice to make, and he chose Jesus. Now, you can go to the next slide. This is just a fun picture, but pursuing Jesus changes us vertically. And that's the value that we place on what we put above us in our life, meaning what we put as most valuable in our life. Now, ironically, with this object illustration, there are people where working on cars is like, that's their thing. <laughs> um, I wish that was my thing, um, but I had too many rust buckets of cars <laughs> as an early driver, and my dad and I would work on them, and they weren't always the fun ones to work on like this. And so I digress. Anyway, but pursuing Jesus changes us vertically. What I mean by that is this is there are things that we elevate to the most, the utmost place in our life. Similar to the first, they're the things that you cannot picture your life without that thing or that person. And, for example, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's, um, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's... It could be a whole lot of things. But all that to say, there are things that we <coughs> place value and worth on. And we, we actually worship those things. At the end of the day, on, uh, on this last Wednesday, I was doing a Q&A session with the youth at Crossroad. And one of the questions was, <coughs> what do you do or when you don't feel like worshiping? And it's kind of a trick question because I know the answer and our leaders did too. But, uh, and I had planted that question in there. Uh, but we answered the question, you know, what do you do when you don't feel like worshiping or when you don't feel like God is there? And I think the challenge for all of us is to recognize that in our life, you, in your life, you're going to worship something. It's up to you to determine what that something or someone is. Now, it could be, maybe it's, it's a worldview. You know, uh, just this last week, different people that I've been talking to in different, you know, settings and whatnot, um, there is a, a stark divide in our country between two radically opposed viewpoints. And I'm not here today to say which one's right and which one's wrong. But isn't it funny that sometimes we get so fixated on politics that we forget about Jesus in the conversation or even to bring him up? Or 
to be defined more by Jesus than by our political party. And uh, I'm not trying to, you know, you know, hit you over the head with the Bible, but it's just an interesting perspective. What are you worshiping? And I would submit to you that with the Apostle Paul, he pursued Jesus, and that changed everything for him in his vertical perspective. Now, in verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, worth, worship, right? Worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, in, in the illustration of the truck, right? So the truck was chosen. He's out of the junkyard. He, des he decides, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go to that mechanic that you sent me to, that Holy Spirit, and I'm going to go to that mechanic, and he's going to fix me up right. And imagine this guy is like the Holy Spirit. I didn't even plan that whole thing, but there's fire, whew, and it purifies, and it's, it's cleaning out all the gunk from all the years that's kind of just gotten in there from just traveling throughout the world. And that, that experience of knowing Christ and pursuing Christ, it changes us. And it changes our perspective and, and it challenges us ultimately to ask the question, what are we elevating in our lives? Is there anything or anyone in, like on the throne of my heart that is competing with God's place in my heart? And that's a hard question. And I'm not going to answer it for you. That's just something for you to sit with. Um, but I would submit to you that, like the Apostle Paul is getting at, nothing else compares with knowing Jesus. It's the best decision you'll ever make to choose to follow him. Like that old, uh, uh, it's like a kid's song now, but at one point it was just a hymn. Uh, but that old spiritual, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It's the best thing you'll ever do. It's not going to be the easiest thing. We talked about that last week. But it's going to be a good thing for you. Now, you can go to the next slide. Here we go. Pursuing Jesus changes us personally. So in verses 9 through 11, Paul said this. He says... Um, I have all these markings in my Bible and it's tripping me up. Here we go. Ah, here we go. And, <laughs> and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Think about the Apostle Paul and all his adherence to the law as a Pharisee. So not having righteousness because he's done all this good in his life, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's this idea of the resurrection from the dead, going from death to life. 
Jesus had another conversation with the Pharisee. He had a lot of them, actually, but one we find in Scripture, and uh, it's the famous uh, 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 Nick at Night scene, for those of you who had kids like me in, <laughs> in that play all those years ago. Uh, he had a conversation with the Pharisee named Nicodemus, who would have been an older person, but was a contemporary of Paul at that time as Pharisees go. And one of the truths that Jesus brings up in that conversation is that you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was tripping out about, how can I go back into my mother's womb? <laughs> you can't go back up the assembly line. It doesn't quite work that way. I'm a full-grown man, <laughs> right? Um, enough said about that. But the point being <laughs> that Jesus was highlighting for Nicodemus that some kind of interpersonal change needed to happen. Uh, the fancy theological term for it is we need to be regenerated. We need to be born again on the inside. And that comes by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. When we have said yes to Jesus, we've put our faith and trust in him. We've said, yes, Jesus, I will accept your gift of salvation, that redemption for me. Yes, I will, you know, I, I, I will let you start changing me, let the Holy Spirit work in my life. And that will bring us from this top picture, which is that true rust bucket vintage, right? Um, from all the years and all the, the crazy that's been going on. Maybe it's been through a few storms, I don't know. Um, but then compared to the restored, renewed, reborn, almost like a steampunk version of... Uh, of uh, it's just it's it looks like it's new down below and that's the inside of the cab of uh of i guess some kind of old chevy truck um google didn't tell me that so much but the point here is this is that pursuing jesus changes us personally the apostle paul was looking for that resurrection from the dead he was looking for that new life and when he found jesus or rather, when Jesus found him, right? He discovered and experienced that change personally. Now we'll get to the next step in a moment, but, but let me ask you, have you experienced that kind of a change personally? Did, you know, when you said yes to Jesus, does your life look different than it did before you knew Jesus. Can you notice some kind of a noticeable change? Now, I'm not asking you, per se, to like, you know, did you, you know, have to clean up your language and, you know, give up your drink and like all this kind of stuff, because that's, that's your process with the Lord in those things. That's not what saves you. Those are outward signs that, that, that tell us things about whatever might be going on inside of you, uh, emotionally and uh, physically and spiritually, that's your process with the Lord. But have you been changed personally? The Apostle Paul experienced a change like this. He experienced that kind of from death to life moment when he experienced that healing. So road to Damascus, he becomes blind because just oof, blinding light. Lord appears to him as he's blind, and he's blind for three days, and then this one brother comes in, 
and he's scared to death because he thinks Paul's going to have him killed. And, uh, but God had told him, I can't remember his name, but anyway, uh, said, go and lay hands on him and ask the Lord to heal him. And so he said, God, are you sure? Because <laughs> he's been signing death warrants for all my buddies, and this isn't good. And so he did that. And from that moment on, you can tell a marked difference between who Paul was before that moment of that healing and that what I would say his kind of born-again experience and who he was after. And all of that was not because of anything he had done. It wasn't because of the law. It was because of his faith, his trust, in what Jesus had for him. So, I believe this section, as it talks about that sort of regeneration and everything, it kind of challenges us with the question, <clears throat> do we come to Christ expecting that he's going to restore us from the inside out? Kind of like, you know, this wonderful cab in the, uh, a Chevy truck. Or are we content in our state of disrepair. Because the truth is that with salvation, we could tell God no. We could say, no, I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but we could just say, you know, I don't want to get regenerated. Um, I'm not willing to give that up yet. And the Holy Spirit will be patient with you and he'll say, okay. Let's keep walking. We'll bring that up again. And that's not going to necessarily change your salvation. It's not going to change the fact that God has rescued you and has offered you that out from the junkyard. But why would we not want God to change us personally? If and maybe it's because we can't imagine a reality where things are any different. Maybe we can't picture a world where we might have uh, the nice cool tricked out inside to our cab, so to speak. Maybe all we can picture is just the here and now reality of all the, the bumps and bruises of life that we've gone through. I believe what God wants to tell you this morning and what he wants to tell me is that he's here to walk with you through it. He's not, uh, he's not just going to, I don't know, force this regeneration upon you, but he wants you to walk with him through that. And so pursuing Jesus changes us personally, and nothing else compares with knowing Jesus. You can go to the final slide. Okay. Pursuing Jesus changes us totally. Now, I recognize this is kind of an interesting turn of events. So here we have this picture. It's a fully restored Chevy truck. It's got a fresh coat of paint. I imagine fresh wheels. <laughs> it's got, uh, I'm really hoping the engine's been worked on. And when you pop the hood, it's just pristine underneath. It's like the ones that they show in the car shows, right? Where it's like that spot of oil comes out there. You shine that up, <laughs> right? It is 
restored. Now there's this moment um, in, uh, I believe it's verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, that resurrection from the dead, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Now that word for perfect, that is that idea, that's that, the, the idea behind that word is complete, made whole, restored to the way it was supposed to be. That doesn't mean that if I were to take this out, you know, I would never do this, but if I took it out on the dunes, that it, it wouldn't get some sand all clogged up in, in different parts of it, or that it wouldn't get some dings because I'd, you know, I don't know, fall over on one part of the dunes or something, or get scratches from tree branches or something. It doesn't mean that nothing's ever going to happen to it again. But it does mean that the one who has selected that truck to be restored, taken it to the mechanic, has gone through the process of restoring each and every part of it. Now it is as it was supposed to be. And I believe that as you pursue Jesus, that's going to start the process of changing you more and more into his likeness to where that you are totally changed from glory to glory, made whole and complete in him. Not in anything you've done, but in who he is, because you are found in him. And because it's almost like when you are in Jesus, it's like you're that old rust bucket of a car and his perfection of whatever, like, you know, his version of a truck would look like if you're a truck, like, it covers you so that when God looks at you, he sees this. And as the Holy Spirit is working in and through you, as you walk with the Holy Spirit through your life, it's going to start refining and restoring those parts of your life back to the way they were supposed to be. And that's going to change you totally as you pursue Jesus. So that begs the question, are we, like Paul, pressing forward to pursue Jesus, forgetting what lies behind, knowing that he alone has the power to transform us? Maybe, maybe not. The invitation for us today, as Paul gives us and the Philippian church as well, is to press on ahead, to pursue God with all we've got. I love that word that's in, I believe it's, uh, what is it? It's verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's calling us up. He's not calling us down. He's calling us up. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that can be scary. Because sometimes we get used to the junkyard. Uh, we get used to the things around us or, 
you know, the things that get brought into the junkyard and we get to experience them. And um, my kids are acting a fool downstairs. It's okay. Just focus on me and, and the Lord. Here we go. Um, but sometimes we get used to all of that. And the Lord has to call us up and draw our attention off of those things and back onto him. It's kind of like um, when the disciples were in the boat during the life of Jesus while he was still walking this earth and before he went to the cross to die. He, you know, they were out on the boat and um, Jesus is walking on the water um, on the storm. And this isn't by any means a full exegete of that whole passage, but Jesus calls Peter out onto the water and says, okay, Peter, come on out. And as long as Peter had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he was okay. And somehow, by God's grace and his power, he was walking on that water. And man, that would be a pretty wild experience. But it was when Peter got his eyes off of Jesus and onto his circumstances and the different things around him, that's when he started to sink. And so... That simple pursuit that I believe that Paul is reminding the Philippians of and God's reminding of us today is to simply and purely pursue Jesus. That's it. That's all that we're being asked to do. And that has implications for us. It changes us horizontally. It changes us vertically. So it changes like kind of what we value here. It changes what we value here. It changes us on the inside too because, you know, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And eventually, you know, from glory to glory, he's changing us totally from the inside out. There's a difference as you pursue Jesus. But the call isn't just to chase after that change. It's to chase after Jesus. Where is Jesus? What is Jesus calling you into? What is he calling you out of in that way? And who's he calling you to be? A child of God, but that's a topic for another, another time. And so as we close, I want to lead us in a song. Um, it's a song that I learned a number of years ago, and uh, when it came out, uh, it was one of those songs that just, it struck me because of just how simple it is. It's called Simple Pursuit. Um, it should be in my slide presentation there, um, but I think it really, it captures the heart of this passage from Philippians. And it reminds us of, I guess, our experience as believers in the church, in the world, and that simple pursuit. So let's pray, and then I'll, I'll sing this song. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your kindness towards us, that you saw us in our disrepair, our, our state of destitution. And God, you called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. 
you set our feet on solid ground and you have called us to walk with you each and every day. And I thank you for that. Lord, help us to simply pursue you. To continually be refining our priorities to putting you first above and before all things in our life. Even when it hurts. Remind us, God, in those times when it's difficult and it's challenging, God, that you are worth it. Remind us of you, Jesus, and all that you did for us on the cross. Remind us of how you rose from the dead and you offer us new life. Remind us, God, of the gospel day in and day out. Because as that old hymn says, God, we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And so, God, take our hearts, take and seal us, for your courts above. Seal us for that pursuit of knowing you. In Jesus' name.